0: Welcome to the Decades of Strength podcast. We are Kim, Marcy, and Katie. We are three women on one mission. We are obsessed with empowering women to gain confidence, build strength, and ditch feelings of unworthiness. So grab your chair, come sit at our table, and let's talk. Welcome back to the Decades of Strength. I'm your host today, Kim Schlag. and with me as always is Marcy, I almost called you Marcy Stewart. Who's that? I don't even, that's not your only no I don't even know. I don't know who that is. Martha Stewart. Oh my gosh, I'm thinking oh. about Martha Stewart. Not Marcy Stewart or Marcy. I would take that as a compliment. Marcy Nevin and Katie Crocus. Not an auspicious beginning. I can't remember the names of my co-hosts.
1: We're going to get through it though.
0: <laughs> Hi, ladies. Hi, Hi Kim. Kim. How are you? Good. How are you guys doing? Doing great. Thank you.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's a busy time of year at my house, but things are moving along.
0: Yeah. Did we talk to you since you got back from your trip, Katie, or was that right before your trip we last spoke? We spoke the day, like the minute I got home
1: pretty much. I was under got like it. piles of laundry. I can't even
0: remember. Yes. Are, <laughs> uh, are I you have, fully I have recovered now? What was that? Are you fully recovered from traveling now? I'm
1: fully recovered from traveling and we are in
0: back to school
1: mode right now. And so it, it didn't, you know, there was just absolutely no rest for the weary in between. So when I you start, start school? Uh, a week from,
0: a week from tomorrow. Week from tomorrow. Okay. We've got a little more time. All three of my kiddos, college, down to high school, all start on Monday the 30th. So we've got mm-hmm. like a week and three quarters. I think half the country has started already, honestly. Yeah. I think everybody south oh of key. yeah started. I keep seeing pictures from friends from all over the country, like back to school first day. And I feel sad that they're so soon. (laughs) I know these are the best
1: days of summer, right? Like my kids are closing the pool down. It's dark. It's completely dark here at eight o'clock at night. And there is something so thrilling to them about staying until it is absolutely dark. And it does no good for us in terms of winding down for bedtime and like getting on a good Mm -hmm. schedule. But like they feel super cool about like living their best life after the sun goes down. (laughs)
0: So Katie, let me ask you, I already know Marcy's answer. So I'm coming back to her. Are you a summer girl or a fall girl? Oh, fall girl. Yeah. All
1: the way. I am, yeah.
0: I do not like the- You and Marcy with the, with the Halloween and the pumpkins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: If it could be October, 11 months a year, I'd be fine with that. Yeah.
0: I love fall too. I really do. But I love heat. I love the summer. It makes me very happy. And so this time of year, I start to struggle because I see all the fall stuff coming out and I like it, but mm-hmm. I'm not ready. I'm not ready for it because I want to hold on to like, it's hot when I wake up and it's hot when I go to bed. Like, I love Mm. it.
1: I get that feeling of wanting to hang on to where you are. I feel that I love the next like four months of the year, September through December. Everything is magic to me. Like I I I find beauty in everything. And then the calendar turns in January and I'm like, nothing's fun again until (laughs)
0: July. Everything stinks till June. (laughs) Right. Well, we've got a great subject to talk about today, so let's hop into it. We were asked by one of our listeners if we would discuss intuitive eating. Interesting subject to talk about. So, for those of you who aren't clear, or maybe you've heard that and you're like, I don't exactly know what that is. Um, this is an eating framework. It was developed by two registered dietitians. Ev- and now, I'm going to hopefully I get these names right. I've really only read them and haven't heard them spoken very often. Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch. They're both registered dietitians. They developed this framework. It's a self-care eating framework is how they describe it. Um, It has 10 principles. We're going to kind of chat through them today. We're going to start with the caveat that none of the three of us are intuitive eating experts. It's not how we coach. Um, And in fact, the developers of it would not, uh, they are not in favor of, of using intuitive eating to purposefully alter your body composition. So if you're a person looking to lose fat or build muscle, any kind of those things, and you try to use intuitive eating to do that, you're actually not using it correctly because it's not designed for intentional weight loss. They do say that could be one of the outcomes. You might lose weight using intuitive eating. You might gain weight, you might stay the same. You might like your body composition better, but if that is the goal and you were trying to use intuitive eating to do that, indeed, you're not using it appropriately. Katie, Marcy, what do you have to add to kind of just the overall definition of it or your knowledge of it? What do you have to say there? I mean, I really don't have a whole lot of knowledge about it. So I've heard of intuitive eating and
2: I know about the book. I, this is the first time that I've actually gone to the website and perused it a little bit more. So I think that I have read the principles at one time, but just wasn't really on board with the term intuitive mm-hmm. eating. But now that, Why is that, well, cause my, my joke was always, if I was an intuitive eater, I would weigh 300 pounds because yeah. I'd be eating all the time because i really, and I think part of it is number six, feel your fullness. So I don't have much of a satiety mechanism where I get that, like, oh, I'm so full. Like I can put away a lot of food. And not feel that like sick to my stomach type of feeling that a lot of people do. were like, oh, I got to unbutton my pants and I got to lie down. Like that does not happen to me. Um, even again, when I'm eating high volume amounts of food. So, yeah, it, I, that's one of the reasons why I still track macros um, is so that I have a better kind of, um, what would you call it? Like a, a gauge and to know, all right, I've had enough. Cause like I could easily overeat if I was left to my own devices.
0: Got it. And you I don't know? think that that's altogether that uncommon Marcy. I think more of the women that I work with that I coach feel the same way. They're like intuitively I eat Oreos by the package if I'm left to my own devices, right? Like that they have spent so long And maybe, and maybe what intuitive eating teaches us is that diet culture is the thing that got us to this position. Anyway, I don't know if that's what they say or not. Again, we're not intuitive eating experts, but I do feel like a lot of people need to be retrained on what and how to eat for, you know, maintaining optimal body composition and feeling really healthy because we've food has been introduced to us in, um, in our modern world that is literally made to make us want to eat more of it than we probably should. And so I think a lot of people feel the same way that their intuition isn't actually something that they want to rely on to eat.
2: Right. It, 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 of- oh, what was really quick. One, more thing I was going to say is I'm kind of at the point now where do I enjoy hyper palatable food? Absolutely. But I also really enjoy nutrient-dense food. Like anyone who knows me knows that one of my favorite foods on this earth is kabocha squash. And I bought one the other day that was $15. This thing was probably at least five pounds. It's huge. I could eat that like in one sitting. Um, but so yeah, I enjoy those healthier nutrient-dense foods. It's not so much, Oh, if left to my own devices, I would eat a sleeve of Oreos like that. I'm kind of away from that. Right. But again, Um, I could just like keep eating and eating. I don't know if my lack of satiety or the reason why that mechanism kind of feels like shut off in me is from years of under eating chronic dieting. When I was in my twenties, I know people talk about that. So Mm -hmm. I'm not really sure I'm at the point now where like, if you told me I could never track macros again, like you threw my food scale out the window and all of that. I would be fine. Like, I know that I have the tools to navigate it and that I can say, okay, I have had enough. I am satisfied enough. I realize that I don't need to keep eating where I would be able to stop. But had I been at the point where I have not learned that like body awareness, or I'm not using food anymore to self-soothe, then it would have been way more difficult to do
0: so. I, I can so 100% agree with that. I actually wanna come back to a really important point you just said there, Marcy, but I wanna bring Katie into the conversation. And then I wanna come back to that. Katie, tell us, uh, what else do you have to add to just kind of our people's general uh, understanding of intuitive eating and your experience with it or lack of it?
1: So I read intuitive eating. I read the book um, word for word because I really wanted to understand it. And I found myself, I was one of those people, I think there's many of us out there who as I was turning the pages, I was kind of shaking my head saying, not for me, nope, this isn't for me. And a lot of that, I think, was again because of this place, Marcy, similar to you, where I'm like, I don't have the fullness cues and this like satiety mechanism really dialed in. And I realized that I wasn't prepared to go down the path that Stephanie Buttermore went down. If you don't know who Stephanie Buttermore is, she she is um, a fitness competitor, she is a a doctor, she's very, very smart, and she has um, undergone what has been termed all in, where she basically followed every intuitive eating principle in the book to the letter and gained, I think like 40 or 50 pounds publicly. She, she published her story on Instagram, on YouTube. Um, I think the process took over a year for her. And eventually she is basically the poster child for this all in idea and, and visually seeing what hap- what can happen with intuitive eating, because yes, her weight went up. Yes, she had all the sleeves of Oreos, you know, fill in the blank, whatever that is. The thing that most of us are afraid to do, right? Like just open the door and, you know, see if eating some of everything can actually lead to eating all of nothing. Like that was my goal. I was like, I want to get to the point where I can really understand how food serves me and how food benefits me beyond just what I think it does in my head. Because Marcy, I'm like you, I love nutrient dense foods. The problem is, if you eat 3000 calories worth of nutrient dense foods, you are in a world of hurt. And so I had to figure out a way to, again, eat some of everything and all of nothing in order to not only, you know, help my body, but help my mind and kind of get through this feeling of like, well, how do I turn this off? How do I turn this need to constantly fill things off? And so um, I think that there was a lot of, uh, I think making peace with food is what draws people to intuitive eating, but the process is something that a lot of women are just not willing to dip their toe into because they know that, well, they under, there will be physique changes. I mean, I don't want to say there will be, but there very likely will be if you are a person coming from a very lean place, an underfed place, uh, a place where your, your self-worth is tied to your body, it is very likely that you'll experience some weight gain. And, and that's something that I saw Stephanie Buttermore do publicly. And that's something that I've done publicly as well.
0: Now, where is she right now with this? Is she continuing to do intuitive? The Stephanie Buttermore. Like I said, I don't know. Is she continuing to do intuitive eating? Is she continuing to put on weight? Has that leveled off? Is she losing weight at this point? Like, where is she with us? So she, like anything, right? The
1: pendulum swung. She gained about 40 pounds. She got to the point where she wasn't hungry anymore at all. She was having days where she was eating between five and 6,000 calories a day. This is, she's absolutely somebody worth looking into on YouTube if you haven't already, because she really makes her, like she has a lot of um, videos where she consolidates her story in, in a very succinct way, but she, she did gain a lot of weight. She did lose her hunger cues altogether for a while. She just didn't want to eat and she naturally started to lose weight a little bit from there. But when I say she went all in, she 100% went all in. She um, went with whatever she felt like eating, she did it. And now she is back to, she's not sage lean, but anyone who would look at her would be like, wow, that woman is strong and healthy. And I would love to live in a body that looks like that.
2: Interesting. It, it was, yeah, it's a very impressive story and transformation. And like you were saying, Katie, the whole reason that she did it is because she was insatiably hungry, where you know no amount of food was turning off that hunger cue. Mm-hmm. So, so again, like going back to like what I was saying with me, like, I don't necessarily feel that like overly full feeling, but I don't have that. Like I'm hungry all the time. Like your girl just likes to eat food. <laughs> I <laughs> I you, do. Like, like you to eat. There, there are some people who eat to live and there are some people who live to eat. And I will admit like live to eat over here. I love it. And not even for reasons like, oh, I'm lonely. Oh, I'm sad. I'm like, no, I just like the taste of food and it's enjoyable. Yeah. What's wrong with
0: that? So, the thing that I think that, I, and this is new to me, like I said, I've never heard of Stephanie Buttermore. The thing that I do tend to notice a lot um, with social media coaches, fitness influencers, is that when they start using intuitive eating and they're successful at switching to intuitive eating and like maintaining their body weight, is that they've had years and years and years of not intuitively eating to get to the point where they understand here's about how many calories I should eat, right? Like I, like right now I'm switching to maintenance from having been in a deficit. I'm going to track my maintenance for a little bit, but eventually I'm going to stop because I'm going to get a really good handle. Cause I've been doing this for a long time of like, how much can I eat to maintain my weight? And so for me, a lot of this in, in intuition is really practice, right? Like it's like years of practice of measuring food, weighing food, eyeballing portions. Now, like I I know what portion sizes look like, where I think a lot of people aren't there, right? Like, don't you, did you guys ever do these quizzes on your stories and you're like, guess how many calories are in this? And people are way off. Like their intuition isn't backed with years of practice like mine and yours and yours. Mm -hmm.
1: I think there's also something, Kim, and I'll play devil's advocate just a little bit here. I think there's also something to programming as well, because I know that Intuitively, I want to eat as much as I can, right? So I'm going to get a massive mixing bowl and throw a ton of greens in there and maybe stack some more veggies on top and use a light dressing. And, you know, you could put fat free cheese on there. And it's like, look how much food I get. And I know what it's going to do in terms of calories. I know how that translates. And, you know, my programming is telling me that this super high protein, this super low fat food is going to just is going to be right um, in terms of hitting my calories, but it's probably not what my body actually needs. Like mm-hmm. missing the fat, missing the carbs, um, overdoing it a little bit on protein is probably going to slow my digestion down. There's probably going to be some um, issues going to the bathroom. I mean, it's like there. Not to get into all the weeds here, but I think there's a lot of us who have developed an intuition that lends itself more to um, macro-friendly foods and and diet mentality. Mm -hmm. And that's where we're falling, right? Like we stop tracking and it's like, I'm just going to eat the same meals I've been eating, but I'm doing it intuitively. And it's like, Mm -hmm. well, are you doing
0: it based on what your body really needs or how we've sort of become programmed? And I think that, again, can come back to learning, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's a change. So when I first started out as a coach, I absolutely was like, how can we get people the lowest calorie meals? Like, you'll find back years ago, you'll find posts from like a 250 calorie lunch. And now I'm like, why the heck was I trying to help anybody 250 calories for lunch? Like trying to literally see like, how could we use every calorie? Like the wisest, like in my, you know, the wisest. And that's definitely in air quotes here. And like, as a coach now, I would never be trying to do that because I would be saying like, okay, you need to get some fat in there. That's going to help you feel like you've enjoyed your meal. It's going to help it like stick to your ribs last longer. So again, I still feel like it comes back to education and practice. Um, Not necessarily in my experience so far, it has not yet been intuition, but I'm not a person who's tried practicing intuitive eating. Mm -hmm.
2: So there's another thing that I want to talk about, and it goes back to the dealing with your emotions, which is one of the principles of intuitive eating. I don't think a lot of people are there. So we are very stressed out. We're overwhelmed and that causes a lot of people to emotionally eat. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, let's have a little science talk here when it comes, or neuroscience talk. So you have two parts of your brain, you've got your prefrontal cortex and you have your amygdala, your basal ganglia and the amygdala basal ganglia, those are the ones that are responsible for your emotions. They're like the emotional control center of your brain and it is not as evolved. So like you think about like prehistoric times, like our brain, that part of our brain has not caught up. So it's one of the reasons why we crave those really hyper palatable foods and we have a hard time shutting off. So the prefrontal cortex of your brain is what is responsible for your decision-making, your goal setting, being intentional and rational and like being, like. The ability to make good choices that are aligned with how you want to feel. So, when you are flooded with emotions, whatever it is, that like the emotional center will turn on, the prefrontal cortex will turn off, and now you cannot make as good of decisions. Mm-hmm. So, it's why we, you know, have a lack of self control or lack of willpower, especially when we're stressed out or overwhelmed. And I don't think that. Many people have come to the point where they can really recognize that slow down, pause and have the tools Mm -hmm. to shut off that emotional center of their brain so that they can be like, okay, is the Oreos like really the best decision for me? Right. So that's another reason why I think, you know, intuitive eating, unless you've really done a lot of inner work, you've worked through, you know, ways to deal with your emotions without food. It can be a a slippery slope.
0: When I teach mindful eating to um, my uh, menopause weight loss course members, to my clients, this is one of the big subjects we tackle because weight loss is all about the food. Yes, as far as calories, but it's not all about the food because there are so many other things that come in and emotional eating, stress eating, sadness eating, all these these things are really, um, it's a big part of the puzzle. And so being willing to do the work there is, um is a huge part of it. And it takes time and practice. And some of it is like more about the food, like, all right, let's not stock the food. You typically like go emotionally, eat. but a lot of it is figuring out like, okay, why am I sad? And what am I going to do about that? How am I going to manage that emotion in a non-food way? Mm-hmm. Um, that's a big part of it. Yeah.
1: I agree. And that's sort of something I've termed myself in my world as the messy middle, right? Like how do you get from macro tracking to this place of being more in tune with your body and, and reprogram maybe things that had worked when you were trying to change your body. And now you want to tune in and listen to your body. like How do you sort of navigate that messy middle? And that's something that I'm deeply immersed in right now, a project that I've talked about, that I'm working on that I hope to share more about in October. But I think Marcy, it certainly speaks to your point that it comes down to awareness but it's an active, like this is not a passive situation. This is not something where, you know, you just like input training and input your macros and, and then like output your brain. Like you cannot just simply go from full tracking to, oh, I'm gonna have one untracked meal on Friday. And then this is gonna start my process into intuitive eating. Like it takes thought work, unless you are someone who like came to your dieting phase complete, from from a well-balanced place, it takes a lot of work on that awareness piece. And that's, and that's something that, that I've immersed myself in a lot. And I'm, you know, working on sharing more with, because it is, it is a journey that is for sure. And I think a lot of women just don't know, like they want, they're so used to say, to, to hear, to getting a macro plan and hearing the next steps and having their, their, their hand up and say, I will do anything. Just tell me what to do. And suddenly it's like, I can tell you what to do, but then you have to go ahead and do it your way. Like, I can't do it for you. And that is like the disconnect, I think. Mm
2: -hmm. Well, and the other thing that I like to say is macro tracking. It's not a magic bullet. It's not a magic fix because I have plenty of clients who are tracking their macros and still have not dealt with their emotions around food or their relationship with food, who are still using food to cope and to self-soothe and who are going over their macros because of that. It's like, that's, yes, I, um, and and also still have the, the good and bad label around food. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, I, I teach them the principles of flexible dieting from a, a mindset perspective. Okay. There are no good and bad foods. There are more nutrient dense foods. There are less nutrient dense foods, and we want to prioritize, more nutrient dense foods, but no foods are technically off limit. There is no good and bad label. And, you know, in the beginning, they still struggle with that because it's years of deconditioning that we have to, you know, work towards. So, you know, unless or until someone has really, I, how do I this? Um, until someone like has really changed their relationship with food when it comes to the good and the bad and how they interact with food, you know, not using it as a way to, to cope, then macro tracking can still, I don't want to call it like a band-aid necessarily, but it's still not going to be like the ultimate fix.
0: Mm-hmm. And making peace with food is one of the principles of intuitive eating. It can also be used in combination with macro tracking, uh, like we do with our clients. And and I totally agree with you, Marcy. If a person continues with, you know, say they're tracking their macros, but they're continuing to think in terms of good food bad food. I, this is guilt-free that I should feel guilty about. It is going to be hard to be successful. And so practicing, changing your mindset around that is part of the work while you're losing weight. And I firmly believe you can do those two things together, right? You can track macros, be losing weight and working on making peace with food.
1: I agree. That's- I am doing that now, Kim, that's exactly how I'm approaching things. Currently I, for a long time, I, I stepped away from tracking and that was what I needed. And it was wonderful. And Um, currently I am eating, I would say relatively, I would say mindfully, I would say I'm mindfully eating, um, but not intuitively eating because the principles of intuitive eating are, I'm not embracing all 10 of them in this process, but I am eating according to pleasure, hunger, joy, even emotion. I'm eating for celebration, uh, but I'm doing it all understanding along the way. What is the why behind my food choice? So I'm not just sitting down and inhaling my food, but I'm sitting down and I'm thinking, how do I wanna feel before, during, and after this meal? Like, how did I feel last time I ate this food? What am I thinking or what am I doing later in the day? I am bringing awareness to my surroundings as I'm eating. I am shutting down things like television or sometimes I'll read a book or sometimes I'll listen to a podcast, but I'm trying to be more mindful in all of my senses when I'm eating. And basically establishing a connection to my body during the process of my meal and that has been a big part of it and then after all of that is done i will track that meal in my fitness pal and take a look and see what it looks like
0: and Mm -hmm. i'm noticing
1: that i'm feeling so much better when i go ahead and i go and i make it more of a process like yes it takes some time and you know yes sometimes i have to like come up with something that feels that, 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 you know, at the end of the day, because I'm, I may be way low on fat, then I have to kind of, you know, make some decisions at the end of the day. But it's been really um, insightful for me to see that on the days I feel best, they are not the days that I eat my quote unquote favorite foods. They're not the days where there's like a jello yogurt bowl with like sky high protein and moderate carbs and low fat. Like it is the days when I um, tend to lean toward the more balanced foods and not the foods I used to eat, which has been very interesting to me and and just drawn a
0: lot of awareness to my process as well. Those are some great questions you brought up to ask yourself um, around food. Like, why am I eating this? How do I want to feel? How did I feel last time doing this? Mm -hmm. Those are some fantastic questions to ask. I think how we think about food and how we talk to ourselves about food is really important in this process. One of the the things that I teach the women I work with is um, to change how you speak about It's how you actually speak about food, whether it's in your head or whether it's out loud, instead of saying like, I can't have X, I can't have a cheeseburger to speak differently. Like if your goal is intentional weight loss, maybe that's not going to fit into your macros that day. But instead of saying, I can't have that saying I'm choosing not to have the cheeseburger today, but I might choose to have it next time. Like if I want a cheeseburger, like today I'm choosing not to, but I could have it if I wanted to, I'm just choosing not to right now today. Today I'm choosing to have the salad and, you know, I'm going to be choosing, I want to have cake later. So I'm choosing to not make room for the cheeseburger today. And I think that's really important versus saying I can't. That whole forbidden food thing, um, you know, it really can push us to want to rebel. Who are we rebelling against? Literally ourselves, but it's a real thing.
1: I agree. To me, it's something as simple as switching the yes, but mentality to yes, and. Like, yes, I will have this. And whatever, what I will take something away from this. Um, th- having this food will benefit me, whatever it is, more than it could ever hurt me. Because I will learn something from this. I will find something out from this. I will feel something from this, and it will help me grow. And that was kind of the shift in mindset that that began the awareness journey for me.
0: Yeah, Marcy, do you have anything to add there as far as how? Um, you and your clients speak to themselves about food or questions they ask about food to themselves.
2: No, I think you pretty much nailed it. That's something that I always bring attention to is, you know, it always starts with awareness. So everything is a lesson. It's not a failure or a mistake. It's simply a lesson and a learning opportunity if you choose to see it that way. So, you know, start with kindness, grace, compassion for yourself. What you did is not wrong you're still practicing. That's one word that I use a lot with my clients is this is a practice. Like I said earlier, if you have been operating in a certain way for years and years, and that is your habits, that is your conditioning, you're not going to just flip a switch and be a completely different person overnight. Like those, that wiring in your brain is like, or those, uh, (laughs) those neural pathways are hardwired. So it's going to take time and practice and compassion to break them and to develop new ones. So anytime they overeat, you know, whatever the case may be, however they want to phrase that I just say, all right, you know, it happened. It's okay, but let's talk about why it happened. What was your trigger? Where were you? Who were you with? What was going on? And then also how did you feel after it? And if you are presented with the situation in the future, Can you think back to the time when it happened last and remember how you felt? And then can we put something into place so that, yeah, you have those guardrails, that you have Mm -hmm. another solution when you are in that situation. Um, And then asking, I always ask, like, how do you want to feel? Not in the moment, because we all want to feel good. We all want to have fun and, you know, eat the things, drink the alcohol, be part of the crowd. But how do you want to feel on the other side of the experience? Do you want to wake up bloated and hung over? And let's be honest, even though we say, have kindness for yourself, like, you know, don't beat yourself up. People still do it. <laughs> like it still happens. That is a practice too, you know? So do you want to feel those or think those thoughts, feel those feelings? Um, and we know that, Thoughts lead to feelings, feelings lead to actions. So yes. if you're continuing that cycle, you know, because over and over again, you're breaking those promises to yourself, well, it's going to be difficult to keep taking action towards your goals. So yeah, it's like, you know, how long do you really want to be doing this for? And then the, the second part of that is I always tell them like, okay, when you did have a win, when you acted in alignment with your goals, like that is showing you proving to your brain that you can do this, that you can trust yourself. So remember that too. Like you didn't die, nothing bad, the world didn't end. You know, you ate again a couple hours later or the next day. uh, And uh, that's something that's really powerful. Cause I know for myself, I have repeated this over and over again, I can eat a lot of food. And I used to go out to restaurants and like I was a part of the clean plate club, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I had to intentionally start practicing even if I wasn't in a fat loss phase, you know, like I just wanted to start practicing, leaving those bites behind so that I could be an integrity as a coach too. You know, if I'm telling my clients leave bites behind and don't, you know, eat to the point where you don't need any more food. Cause I was eating past the point of like what I actually needed. Um, so yeah, I started to just to practice that. And then now it's not a problem anymore. So it's uncomfortable at first, you know, it's almost like you got to sit on your hands or be like, wait, or take the food away. Yeah. But I would just like sit there with the food in front of me and be like, nope, not going to have it. And not as a form of restriction, just like, I know that this is not a self harming choice because it is more food than I need. You know?
1: But Marcy, did you will yourself to that moment? Like, so I think a lot of women get to that where they're like, I, I mean, I would call it like an epic moment where it's like, you have, you have this decision in front of you and a lot of women are like, "How, Marcy, did you make that choice?" Instead, and 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 you know, it can be anything. It could be like the next cookie, a second slice of cake. Maybe you're by yourself because there's. I know when there's people around you at a restaurant, it's a little bit easier to stay in check. But let's say you're by yourself. Is that sheer will that got you to that point to be able to kind of overcome that?
2: Uh, I don't think it's necessarily willpower. It's putting habits in place. So one, it's making sure that I am satisfied enough. So if I was eating a dinner that was chicken and broccoli, steamed broccoli you know, yeah, that might be a little more difficult, but if I'm having a really well-balanced, satisfying meal, uh, then it becomes easier. But please believe, you know, at the end of the meal, like I could eat more. And sometimes I'm like, oh, you know, another, another slice of squash would be really delicious right now. But often what I will do is change my environment. So if I'm feeling that way, you know, I practice the pause. Okay, give yourself, you know, 10 minutes, 20 minutes. If you really want more, you can have more. And then I'll do something else. Like oftentimes I'll go for a walk or I'll, you know, start watching a YouTube video just to like get my mind out of it. And then that 10 to 20 minutes passes and I'm, I'm over it. Like I don't need the food anymore.
0: I think for a lot of women, that clean plate club is a big hang up, and getting past that. um, I agree with Marcy. It's not about willpower. I think one of the first parts of it is recognizing why a person has that uh, tendency. Like, why are you a person who wants to uh, clean your plate? For a lot of people, it comes from their family, right? Like, this is how they grew up. Their mom and their dad are like, you are going to clean your plate. Like my dad always used to say, like, I paid for it. <laughs> you chose it, you eat it. And I would be like, I'm not hungry. and I'd like, I don't care, right? A lot of people were guilted. Um, I did a post on this, maybe it was two summers ago. It was still, it's just resonates in my brain so much. Um, about where clean plate cubs comes from. And I got so many comments and people told the craziest stories like how their grandmother grew up in a time of war in Europe. And so she would force feed them literal food like force feeding food in their mouth. And she didn't think they were eating enough because she was worried about them not having enough food. Other people saying their parents would get out actual copies of National Geographic with starving children and show it to them and like make them cry at dinner to eat their food because they there were kids who weren't who were starving. And so there are deep rooted issues that we have about this. And so just trying to use willpower to like not clean our plate isn't the answer, but really recognizing where does this come from, from me? And not everybody has a dramatic story. Maybe it's just like, this is what I do. This is what I've done my whole life. because is what I saw everybody else do. Realizing like, why do I do it? And then asking like, does it serve me? And getting past that guilt, right? And saying to yourself, because if you're a person whose goal is to lose weight You're not saving yourself money or time or energy by eating that food, right? You're wasting it. If your body doesn't need the energy, you are wasting it just as much as if you put it in the trash can. Sure, you can try and save it and bring it home and put it in your fridge for another meal if that's going to work. It doesn't always work. But really talking back to that voice in your head that says, like, you should feel guilty if you don't eat this. Here's why I might feel that way. Here's what I can say. And the thing I always tell my my girls to say is I am not a trash can. I'm not a trash can. I I don't have to put that in my mouth. That's think such that's a great
2: reframe, Kim. Yeah. I love what it you really said is. about like eating more than you need is also wasting the food. It's wasteful. Yeah. Um, I want to want to go back to what you were saying about, you know, grandparents forcing <laughs> people to eat because of what they experienced. And I wrote a post yesterday, the nine signs of self-sabotage. And there's, there, there are so many other ways we self-sabotage, but these are the most common ones that I see. In in myself still, or the people I work with. And I had been listening to an episode recently from Amber by Biceps After Babies, uh, that she had recorded last year sometime with another health coach about self-sabotage. Um, and what this woman was saying is like, sometimes like forms of self-sabotage are actually a trauma response that us as coaches are not really Inclined to not inclined. um, We don't have the tools to to coach on or to help someone with, and I think that that is actually kind of a form of trauma in some way, not for the person who is experiencing it, for but the but for the the parent, the grandparent who is instilling that belief upon Mm -hmm. them. Like, yeah, if you are like in a concentration camp and being starved and you survive, like that is pure trauma right now. And it has been shown that like generational trauma gets passed down into your DNA. So it could be so ingrained, like from like a very deep subconscious level. Mm-hmm. So I would just say, you know, be very kind to yourself because that's something that can be very out of your control. Like you can have the awareness, but it might take working with a real professional
0: to undo that. Absolutely. Really good point, Marcy. Really good point. I um,
1: think- oh, go ahead, Marcy. Oh, no, go ahead, Kim. No, thank Katie. I, for me, that uncovering where the scarcity mindset sourced was really valuable to me. I spent a lot of time, a lot of introspection, a lot of time meditating, um, a lot of consideration about what comes up when I think about overeating or why I would be drawn to eat more to the point that my body was not feeling good. Like, what? Why would I do this to myself? And I was trying to connect the dots and and. That was a really important practice in all of this. It wasn't for me ever as simple as checking the boxes on the intuitive eating list. It was so much more about getting real deep and quieting the noise and understanding what happened in my world that brought me to this point and sort of peeling back the layers and then just building it back up from there
0: with a different foundation, really. Fantastic. So I think we've hit a lot of these. I'm going to kind of read through them. And you ladies, stop me if there's something else you want to say about these. So the, the 10 intuitive eating principles, reject the diet mentality. And mm-hmm. again, remember everyone listening, we're talking about these from the idea of mindful eating, not intuitive eating, because we're not intuitive eating coaches, but there's okay. so much overlapped in my mind. Like I believe that the three of us actually do help people reject the diet mentality, um, even as they're trying to lose weight or build muscle or whatever it is. Honoring your hunger. I feel like we've we've hit on that one quite a bit so far today. Um, making peace with food, uh, another really big one I feel like we've talked about here and challenging the food police. Again, no good food, no bad food. Discovering the satisfaction factor. Marcy yeah. touched on that for sure, yeah. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: yeah. And feeling your fullness is number six. We, we talked about that for sure uh, with the Clean Plate Club. Number seven, coping with your emotions with kindness. Such a big one. And I feel like we've kind of touched on that kind of woven throughout here. Um, the idea that you have to deal with the source of the emotion and that you can be kind with yourself as you do this, whether you're choosing to intentionally lose weight or not, um, being aware of your emotions and being kind as you, if they're not serving you, uh, changing what you do based on those emotions is really important. Anything else to add for that one, ladies?
2: Mm -mm, No,
0: um, Number eight is respecting your body. This is an interesting one for me. Um, their idea is, um, I'm, I'm going to read a quote from their from their website. Just as a person with a shoe size of eight would not expect to realistically squeeze into a size six, it is equally futile and uncomfortable to have a similar expectation about body size. This one I don't quite agree with because I, do, I don't believe a person can't change their body size. I don't think it's wrong to, and I don't think it's, what was the word they use? Futile. I don't think it's futile to change, your body size. I've done it. I know a lot of people have changed their body size. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think that comes down to a personal decision of whether you want to. I do think that's part of rejecting the diet mentality. I do think we are often made to feel like we should change the, the shape and size of our body, right? That we have to, that it's like our, it's kind of almost like, internalized in women. Like this is a big part of what we're here to do. And I don't think um, that that is useful for us, but I personally believe that it's realistic to change the shape of your body. Mm-hmm. Thoughts, disagreements ladies. Oh no, I, I could go
2: on about this all day. Uh, yeah, I think it's totally okay to change your body. I would consider myself like a bodybuilder. I enjoy the practice of seeing how I can, I don't even want to say change, but make improvements to my mm-hmm. physique. And it's not from the standpoint of how can I make it smaller because that's more diet culture. It's like, how can I make it bigger? <laughs> you know, it's I was comparing my progress picks from when I had ended my fat loss phase in January of 2020. And like, I thought I looked great. I was so proud of myself to where I am now, which is about eight pounds heavier, like certainly bigger and it was interesting because I, I will admit, like I struggled with the weight gain a little bit. You know, we can say all day that we don't, but like it's it can be difficult um, and you definitely put on some body fat. But I was comparing, yeah, that the last picture from the end of my, like really the start of my reverse diet to where I am now. And I was like, oh, wow, the body that I have now, even though it is heavier and maybe I was, you know, kind of, having to come to terms with like losing my leanness and all of that. Like, this is the body that I've been trying to build since I was 20. Like, I feel like I finally have that like physique, like that kind of like figure competitor physique in a sense, you know, without the shoulders <laughs> still working on those, but like, I enjoy just the the journey of improving, you know? So
1: yeah. It's I, not necessarily. I mean, I think respect your body makes sense, but I would almost, for me personally, and I think based on this conversation, shift that when you're talking about mindful eating to have gratitude for your body, to appreciate your body for every phase that you're in and understand that it is part of the process. You are there for a purpose. Look what, like to just take a minute and and realize like, we are breathing every second of every day with zero effort. Our heart continues to beat, regardless of what we put in our bodies or think in our minds. To just find reasons to have gratitude for our body wherever we are, I think is to me akin to respect your body. And, and I agree wholeheartedly with both of you that I don't think there anyone should ever be shamed for having an aesthetic goal or wanting to make a physical change to their body. That is probably, to me, the biggest separation I have within the, with the intuitive eating principles. Well, and also like, I
2: mean, to what you said, Katie, that's such a beautiful point because all three of us have experienced you know, some real issues with our body to the point where, you know, maybe at a time it looked like, why is my body going against me? You know, Kim, you got really sick and gained weight. I have autoimmune issues where like my body literally attacks itself. Like that is the definition of autoimmunity. You know, I put it through some brutal, you know, diets, training programs, things like that, where I did not respect it. Katie, same as you, you know, we've all, you know, treated it like trash. It's gone against us at times, but look where we are now, where we are back to thriving. Like our body has supported us
0: in amazing ways and allows us to do some pretty incredible things. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely.
0: Um, yeah, I was going to bring that up as far as respecting your body and uh, what you said, Katie, about being grateful for your body. That's clearly been on my mind a lot this year, both with, my, um, with the COVID pneumonia and the breast cancer scare. So hmm. I forgot about that one. Really feeling, it, feeling that these days. All right, the last two principles, number nine is about movement. And I know all three of us believe in this idea, not exercising to like focus on burning calories, but to, you know, how does this make me feel? With the addition, I would say, you know, it's great to have goals. If you want to have goals, you don't need to have performance goals. You don't need to have aesthetic goals, but in mindful eating, having those goals to exercise is perfectly fine. In intuitive eating? I don't know because Katie and maybe you can inform how this chapter goes. Is it with intuitive eating? Okay. To have those kinds of goals along with just like moving to move and feel good.
1: I think the idea is that you don't move to burn calories. You burn, you, you yes. move because it feels good to your body. And I think that's the point. It's not, it's just not transactional.
0: Got it. Yeah. And I think that we all agree on that. Although, I mean, we're big proponents of like getting your movement in to help keep your need up. And I, I, I'm i assuming with intuitive eating, they wouldn't necessarily look upon that uh, with like, hey, this is a great idea. I think it's the baddest idea. I mean, if you think about even just how much it's been discussed about how that can improve your health, like mm-hmm. just you won't die as young. You're not gonna have as much chance for heart issues and you know, can help with depression and all of those kinds of things. Yeah. Um, so having uh definite goals as far as how much you move for both burning calories and health benefits is a part of how i coach
1: i think it's i think it's about as long as it's not necessarily transactional i think we all agree that you don't want to necessarily do a workout solely for the purpose like you don't want to do something and say okay now i get to eat my workout like right. now that i just ran 5 miles I'm
0: worthy of breakfast.
1: Like, we're like the whole, like, how
0: many burpees for a Snickers kind of thing. Oh, God.
1: I, hell, every year at Halloween, if I could just never see that those Twitter posts and posts and memes
0: again, that would be okay. I know. They're coming. They're coming. Watch nice out. Truck. Here they come, right alongside the delicata squash <laughs> and pumpkin spice uh, All right, last one. Honor your health with gentle nutrition. I'm going to read this because I'm not really clear on what what they're getting at here. So let's let's try and see what we think about this one. Make food choices that honor your health and taste buds while making you feel good. Remember, you don't have to eat perfectly to be healthy. Heck, yes, you will not suddenly get a nutrient dis- a nutrient deficiency or become unhealthy from one snack, one meal, or one day of eating. It's what you eat consistently over time that matters. Progress, not perfection is what counts. Obviously going to get a heck yes from all three of us Beautiful. on that one. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. I, I feel like we have way more in common with intuitive eating than we depart from intuitive eating.
1: Yeah. You know? I think the, one of the biggest challenges that everybody has is how do you go from page one to number 10, to honor your health. Cause there's no question. Everybody wants that gentle nutrition. Everybody wants to be there because that is the, that is being at peace with food and being at peace with your body. And it's, the, it's just the hesitation I think most people have about the journey. And so I, I'm just- My I, proposal,
0: ladies, is next week's episode, we continue this discussion and we talk about if you, and no pressure to those of you listening, if you're like, I like my macro tracking, I like my calorie tracking, it's going really, really well for me. Mm-hmm. No pressure to do anything differently. But if you're kind of like, I kind of want to tend more towards not doing that, how do I make moves from macro tracking to this more like gentle nutrition, to mindful eating. How about we kind of discuss uh, ways to do that next week? Does that work? Love mm-hmm. it. Yep. Right. That's what we're gonna do then. We're gonna end here. Look for that discussion coming up next time. So basically it'll be this discussion with practical su- suggestions for you. Like, okay, you wanna do this? Like here are some things you could try.
1: Fabulous. Look All right.
0: do it. This has been a great chat. Sure has. Thanks ladies. Thanks for listening everyone. All right. We'll catch you next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Decades of Strength podcast. If you liked this, if it was helpful for you, it would mean the world to us if you left a rating and review wherever you're listening. It really does help our work get in front of more people. Thanks so much for being here with you and we'll see you again next week.